0: If you would today, take the word of God and turn to Romans chapter 5. Many of you should be familiar with the location of Romans in your Bible. We've been studying it on Wednesday nights since the beginning of January. And though we're right through the first chapter on Wednesday nights, it'll be a while before we get into chapter 5. But I believe God's going to use this in the context of some other verses today, to speak to our hearts and our minds. Have you ever went to a restaurant, maybe after a hot summer's day, and you've been out of town and walked around somewhere, like the beach or something like that? You've walked around and you found a nice restaurant on the boardwalk or at the park or downtown Concord and it's, you know, 100 degrees outside and you're just famished and you sit down and the waitress comes by and says, well, can I take your drink order first? Or you say, the only thing I would like is some water, just some water, H2O. As long as it's got two H's and one O, I'm good to go. Bring the two H's and one O some water, we'll be good. And she says, Okay, I'll be back. And you know the, the restaurant's busy and there's there's many patrons in the restaurant and, and you know she's gotta take other people's orders. And so she's going around a table and she's delivering other people food, and five minutes later you got a cup on your uh, on your table, and you says, Ma'am, when you get a chance, just remember the water. So so here's what you do. You've got a hope. That your thirst is going to be quenched sometime today. And some of you may have used that phrase when the waitress comes back by. Hey, sometime today would be nice. Y'all ever done that? Or sometimes if it's already got ice in it, you know what my favorite thing to do? I don't say nothing. I just take the empty cup of ice and shake it around. I just shake it around like a maraca until somebody comes. Oh, sir, would you like a refill? No, by chance. I'm just making a rhythm. Yes, I would like a refill. But see, when you're sitting there and there's nothing in your glass and you're thirsty, you've got a hope that your thirst is going to be quenched. But right now, it's an empty hope. I just want you to think about this. I'm going to sit this empty cup up here. And I want to talk a little bit today about hope. Let's turn our attention to Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, this is what the Word of God says. Therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Somebody say peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice. In the hope of the glory of God. Somebody say hope. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that. Tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit, whom was given to us. May God bless the reading of His Word. My message today is this a hope that cannot be moved, a hope that cannot be moved. When I look in the world spectrum today, and I turn on the news, which I rarely do. Honestly, matter of fact, I just told a, a fib from the pulpit. I said when I turn on the news. I, I probably in the last 365 days have not seen the news once. Uh, if I'm at home, I'm spending time with my family. And the things I hear about, I hear about on Facebook because everybody else talks about them. Or Twitter. Because if something's happening, somebody on Facebook is going to talk about it. And if it's not important enough for somebody to talk about it on Facebook, I really don't care what they say because it's a bunch of garbage anyway. But everything they talk about and all these people on Facebook and everything that's going on in the world, I see a generation of people who lack hope. And I also see a generation of Christians who whine and complain about the earthly situations and the earthly condition. And I think to myself, if you have hope, what are you complaining about? You see, some people don't understand that their hope is, is to them like a pendulum. Sometimes it's right in the middle where it's supposed to be. But on other days when things aren't going like you want it to, it swings over this way. And some days when things are going real well, oh, my hope's a lot better over here. But you know what? Our hope should not be shaken. It should be fixed on the solid rock of Christ. We should have an unmovable hope in Jesus I believe that an unmovable hope is based on three things today. Sometimes I put notes in your bulletin. Sometimes I just expect you to take notes. Today I just expect you to take notes. I want you to know three reasons why our hope cannot be moved. Number one, our hope cannot be moved because we have peace with God. Based on the scripture, we, through Jesus Christ, have peace with God. You see, the book of Proverbs says, if your brother is offended, it's easier to win over a city than to win back your brother. If you offend somebody in your life, you know what it causes? It causes discord instead of peace. Some of you are offended about that nose-picking statement. We'll We'll get it right in the parking lot after church. I'll apologize. In the name of Jesus, we'll practice grace. But see, our earthly relationships, when there's no peace, we're unhappy. When you know somebody's mad at you, when you know your, your son or daughter or your spouse or your ex-spouse or mother or father, you know somebody's mad at you, it makes your life hurt. causes you misery. But you see, your heavenly relationship, It's not based like that. But the problem is some people base their heavenly relationship on like it's an earthly relationship. Because here's the deal. If Phyllis was offended by something that I did or I said something wrong with her, guess what? There's not going to be peace until we make it right. But the thing is some of you think God is offended by the way you're living. But if you've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, you don't have to make it right. Jesus already made it right. There is peace with God. Through Jesus Christ. You wake up in the morning, you got peace. Go to bed in the evening, you got peace with God. Every day, 24 hours a day, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. One of the most widely published gospel tracts in history was written and published by Billy Graham. It was called Steps to Peace with God. Anybody ever seen that tract? Anybody ever carried that tract? Bunch of slack Baptists in the house today. If you've never carried Steps to Peace with God by Billy Graham, you should have had a preacher who gave you Steps to Peace with God. Matter of fact, we had a bunch of tracks in the the ladies' bathroom, the men's bathroom. I guess we thought when they need a reading material and somebody gets saved in there. But anyway, they're all gone, and we need to order more tracks here. I had a buddy in college, he, he would go around uh, at Wingate University and he would put those tracks. You know what, I'm still thirsty. Don't go get me water, it has a point. He would put those tracks everywhere, steps of peace with God, in the stairwell, in the bathroom. You know the best place to put it? Go to a men's bathroom in the little urinals on the wall, set it right there. Because a the guy comes up, he's got to look at something. He's going to pick it up. Now hopefully he doesn't set it back down. <laughs> Hopefully he takes it with them. But I find all over campus, steps to peace with God. And most people want to know, how can I have peace with God? Because I feel like he's angry at me. I feel like I haven't been doing right. How can I make peace with God? And we make peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The scripture says, we've been justified through faith. And we have peace. See? That's why Philippians 4.7 says this, And the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your mind. So the peace of God will keep your heart and your mind if you have peace. The opposite is true. If you don't have peace, then your heart and your mind is going to be in turmoil. But if you do have peace, and let me tell you something, you don't have to be a theologian to have peace with God. I know some of the smartest people in the world today that don't have peace. And we used to sing that song growing up, I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. When I was like four and couldn't pronounce words and didn't know what they were singing, I said, I've got a piece of pacifier stuck down in my heart. I mean, I was growing up, I, you know, I had a pacifier. I hear these people in church, I got a piece of pacifier stuck down. I love my pacifier, yes. Then I realized it was a peace that passes understanding. You know what that means? You don't have to understand the peace. You just have it. Your life might be going through living turmoil and and just problem after problem. And God, I don't know what you're doing, but I've got a peace that transcends all understanding. That's why Christianity involves knowledge. And faith. You know what the good thing is? You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know everything God is doing. Because the good thing is if you trust God, He doesn't need to explain it to me. If you're in the middle of the road playing in the street, and your daddy sees the dump truck coming, and your daddy says, move out of the road. Why? See, the thing is when we trust people, Move out of the road. Okay. And you see a truck went by. And now you know. And it's the peace of God. That passes understanding to know. That whatever God is doing. Has some kind of a purpose. So our hope. Is unmovable. First of all. Because of peace with God. Secondly. Is because we have hope in God. We have hope. In God, Romans 5 says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Brother Eddie, can I get a fan on? We hope, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Hope is the expectation of what is sure. I looked up that biblical word for hope. Does it mean what we think hope means understand? You see, I hope for water when I'm at the restaurant. But the thing is, sometimes it's a disappointing hope. My mother went to pick up a pizza last night for her and my father. She went there. What in the world happened to my tie? She went there wanting a supreme. She got there. They didn't have it ready. The manager said, we're going to put the supreme in right now. Ten minutes later, supreme wasn't ready. Mom says, check with the manager. Where's my supreme? They said they were putting it in. Fifteen minutes later, guess what? No supreme pizza. What happened? The hope disappointed. No pizza. They gave her free cheese and it's at my house. So God works all things for His glory. Amen. Yes. (laughs) That's the reason. There's a disappointing hope. But we have hope in God. We boast in the glory of God. Hebrews 11.1 says this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith comes from your hope. If someone doesn't have faith, it's because they lack hope you got to hope something before you can have faith that it's actually going to happen. But the thing is, it's not an earthly hope. Some people said, are you going to heaven? I hope so. See, they're thinking, well, yes, if everything works out properly. That's not the kind of Bible hope. Bible hope is knowing. Knowing for sure what you happen. So if you're covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, you have faith in Jesus. He's your Lord and Savior. You proclaim that. You've, you've lived a, a, in a repentant attitude. You've been baptized through profession of faith. And you say, are you going to heaven? I know so, based on the promises of God. There's some other doctrines which say that depending on how you live your life, you might get there. The Bible says we can know so. What does it mean to hope in the glory of God? It means that God's perfect, sovereign, holy, and divine plan will be accomplished on this earth. That's why Christians don't have to wig out every time something goes crazy in the media. I just, someone sent me a video with uh, Joe Biden announcing that their plan is to create a new world order. He literally said that phrase. Now, some of you have heard. The New World Order for years, the 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 myth of it, the the hidden agenda of it. Matter of fact, who's got a dollar bill? Who's got just a one dollar bill? I've got a twenty, and it maybe it has it on there. See if you see if you got a one dollar bill. You're gonna learn something today. You got one right here down front. Thank you. All right. On the back, you've seen this your whole life. There's a pyramid with an eyeball above it. And there's a Latin. See, they put things in Latin so you don't know or what they're trying to do. Why, would you, why don't you put it in English for a bunch of pe- English people? Are we in Italy? Is this Italy tender? But see, there's a hidden agenda. It says annuit coeptus. That's Latin for announcing the birth. Novus ordo seclorum. New World order. This has been on your money since you've carried it your entire life. Announcing the birth of a new world order. It's been a hidden agenda. And guess what? Joe Biden literally came out this week and says, Our purpose is to create a new world order. A global capital economy. But here's the good news. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't shock me. Brother Dean, here you go. Thank you. Use your money for the Lord today. It doesn't shock me, it doesn't frighten me, it doesn't scare me because the Bible already tells us in Revelation what's coming. Number one, if anyone shouldn't be surprised, it's the Christians that shouldn't be surprised what's going on. And when it comes, hear what we can know, that we have hope in the glory of God because if there's a new world order coming, guess what? God's going to use that for His glory. Young man from my last church in Greensboro, he was in a tragic car accident eight weeks ago. Eight weeks later, he just uttered his first words. They were able to take the tracheotomy, uh, the trach out after seven weeks. Now he's breathing on his own. Now he can open his eyeballs. And now he's even saying, praise Jesus. And some people would say, well, why would God God let a godly young man like that be in that tragic accident? But we know, we boast in the glory of God, that God's going to use all things for his glory. So, what does it mean that we boast in the glory of God? Let me give you an example. Isaiah 42.8 says, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. When Brother Ken Sossman and I were sitting down with the Jehovah's Witness at breakfast, that's one of the verses. I, I opened to Isaiah 42.8 and I says, would you agree that God says he's not going to share his glory with another? And he says, yes. God will not share his glory with another. So then I turned to John 17, 5, where Jesus said, Father, now glorify me with the glory I had with you. Think about that. Jesus says, Glorify me with the glory I shared with you. Now I said, either Jesus is God or Isaiah lied. Because God said he wouldn't share his glory with another. And Jesus says, I've always had glory with you. What does that mean? That doesn't mean the son's a created being. It means the son's the equal being sharing glory with the father. So here's what the Son was about. When the Son was on earth, guess what? He gave glory to the Father. And here's what the Father was about. The Father was about giving glory to the Son. And their relationship was about giving glory to one another. And Jesus said, may you glorify me through my death on the cross with the glory I've shared with you forever. Jesus even said on the cross, this will be done for your glory. That's what he knew going to the cross, that this was for God's glory. The tragic event on Friday would be used for God's glory on Sunday when he stepped out of the tomb because you can't have the tomb without the cross. And God's not going to give you hope, perseverance, and character in your life unless there's a trial that brings it about. So here's what I want you to know today. You can hope in the glory of God. Listen, because you are the glory of God say, so, what do you mean, preacher? I thought Jesus was the glory of God. I thought God was the glory of the Son. Let me tell you about 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, but we all with open faces beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What 2 Corinthians tells us is God is using your life to transform you Into his glory. Just like Jesus was here to glorify the father. You are here to glorify the father. And through sanctification. Through the cross. You're being transformed into the image. From glory to glory. You are the glory of God. Another translation says this. And the Lord who is the spirit. Makes us more and more like him. We are changed into his glorious image. I want you to think about the glory which God had before the foundations of the earth. And he's transforming you into that glory today. Right now as we speak, you are being transformed into that glory. Here's what we can know. That if, based on Isaiah, the Lord is jealous for his glory, then his purposes will be accomplished. And if we are being transformed in his glory, then guess what? The Lord is jealous for me too. We sing that song in the second service, the contemporary service. It starts out. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree. Why is God jealous for me? Because he's using me and you for his glory. So when we turn our affection to another idol, or when we turn our worship to another love, what happens is we're diminishing the glory that God wants to work in us. So that means He's jealous for you because He's trying to use you for His glory. That's why He's jealous of you. That's why He's jealous for you. And this is why we can rejoice in suffering. Because as Romans says, 5, three. That we rejoice in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation and trial produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. How is it that Apostle Paul, who literally was beaten to shreds, who was shipwrecked, who was homeless, who was suffered for the name, and he says, I rejoice in suffering. When's the last time you couldn't pay a bill, and instead of complaining, you say, God, I rejoice in this. I don't know what you're doing, but I know it will be for your glory. We can rejoice in suffering because suffering produces character, and character produces hope. And that hope is what's based in the glory of God. We boast in the hope of God's glory. So, are you saying, pastor, that the more I suffer, the more I will hope? Yes, I am. The more you suffer, the more God produces hope in you. I believe probably among Christians that suffered in this world, Apostle Paul suffered more than any Christian or as much as any Christian that's ever walked the face of the earth. And I believe also that simultaneously Apostle Paul was the most hopeful Christian that ever walked the face of the earth. How can the most hopeful Christian be the most persecuted Christian? Because trial produces character and character produces hope. Tribulation Produces perseverance. When I ran cross country, you know what I had? I had a love-hate relationship with cross country. I loved running, but I hated how it made me feel. I love putting my running shoes on, but about that second mile, I hated my coach, I hated my team, I hated the running shoes. Because that trial, that suffering, literally when we ran cross-country races, I would leave it all, they say leave it all at the finish line. I didn't have nothing left. About 5 out of 10 races, 50%, I'd come across the finish line so exhausted, start puking. Why? Because I wanted to win. I wanted to do my best so the cross country race was 3.1 miles do you think the coach made us run 3.1 miles in practice? no he made us run 6 miles 9 miles 12 miles why? because if I could run 12 miles with perseverance then 3 were really easy that trial and that suffering Produce perseverance in me. The same way with your Christian life. You're going through a trial in your life right now. You're going through suffering. It's because God's producing hope in you. So we have peace with God. We have hope in God. Lastly, why is our hope unmovable? Because we have the Spirit of God. Romans 5.5 5 says, hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. That hope does not disappoint. That your trial will not leave you disappointed. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Here's the difference between earthly hope, which leaves us empty, and godly hope. Is that Paul says, we know that hope won't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. God leaves us filled with His love. So that I'm not sitting at the dinner table saying, hey, any time now, when you get a minute before I die, I would like some water. Your Christian experience isn't like that. God doesn't leave you empty because the trial produces character. The character produces hope. And hope does not leave us disappointed because the love of God has been poured out. God causes us to overflow with the love of God. Now, I imagine if you're here and you've been a Christian for more than 12 months. Some of you have been a Christian for 50 years. You're here today because God has never disappointed you. God has never disappointed you. That doesn't mean that he doesn't didn't take you through the trial. That doesn't mean that he didn't cause you to have burdens that you had to bear and thorns in the flesh. Why did Paul have a thorn in the flesh? Because he constantly had to cling to the grace of Jesus because of that thorn. The Christian life does not come without thorns. And as Pastor Dave was said, you have to go through the thorns on a stem before you get to the rose. But he's never disappointed. Never. So I want you to know this church. If you have the hope that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's based on peace with God. Hope in the glory of God. And the spirit of God. Which never. Leaves us empty. My prayer today. Is if you don't have that hope. You would take this time of invitation. You would come down this aisle. Say pastor. I'm ready to be a child of God today. I'm ready to have the hope that cannot be moved in the midst of my circumstances. Let's pray at this time. Father, just as you were and are jealous of your glory, then God, also today, right now, you are jealous of us because we are being transformed into your glory. Jesus, I pray. That if there's someone today under the sound of my voice, that God with your Holy Spirit, with your conviction that comes through grace, through the cross as we see that, that someone will be moved to enter into an eternal relationship with Christ today. May they walk the aisle to publicly profess that I'm ready to become a child of God. Secondly, Father, if there's a church member here today that is ready to put their faith and trust in you. As Lord and Savior, we ask that there is a, a day of harvest that will be done. Lord God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would have his will and his way in this place today. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, will you stand with us as we sing?